Welcome to the Cycling in Alignment podcast, an examination of cycling as a practice and dialogue about the integration of sport and right relationship to your life. Hello there, listeners. After over two years of recording and 80 plus episodes, I am elated to announce that Enduro Bearings has agreed to become a supporter of the Cycling in Alignment podcast. This is a double win for you, the audience. You have the opportunity to demonstrate your support of the show by making a purchase on the website cycling.endurobearings.com and you get to save some dollars while you trick out your whip. Use the code Colby Podcast to receive a 35% discount on any of Enduro Bearings excellent products. That's Colby Podcast, which is all lowercase and all one word. This includes the excellent XD15 ceramic bottom bracket, which is guaranteed for life. That means it may outlive you because, well, it's inanimate. Enduro also makes headsets, derailleur pulleys, as well as bearings for just about everything that rotates on a bicycle. So use your digits to make the keyboard mudras and head over to cycling.endurobearings.com and upgrade your favorite ride now. And remember, the proper number of bicycles is always N plus one, so think ahead. Thanks for listening. Todd, welcome to the podcast. Colby, thanks so much for having me here. Yeah, man, it's been a while. It's been it's been a while. Life has changed a lot. Yes. COVID and yeah. the world, the economy, politics, world war, a lot of change since I've spent consistent time with you. Three years ago, if I saw you at a coffee shop and I was like, dude, you're never going to guess what's going to happen. <laughs> You'd have been like, right, pal. I would have told you that would have been a really good <laughs> futuristic book and movie. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like uh, this one I've got here, um, I think it's called 1984, <laughs> right? Right there on my bookshelf. You, you could say we're a little Orwellian these days. You could sure. in some yeah, ways. Yeah. Although I told one of my friends that recently, he was like, dude, that's dark. I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> but accurate. Yeah. I mean. I would say succinct. Right? Yeah. And uh, one of your clients, my friend Nathan Haas, like he arguably had his most Orwellian experience because he got double, he probably had one of the most solid pulls of quarantine of anyone I know because he was at the UAE tour when his team, when COVID like popped, he was at the UAE tour and one of his teammates or staff or both, I don't remember which tested positive. So they pulled the whole team out of the UAE tour after like, I think it was stage three and he, they locked him in the hotel. No, nothing. No, couldn't leave the room guards with machine guns, like AK 47s at the bottom of the elevator, like serious. He actually shared that story with right? me when he was on his way town through I town mean, uh, for Steamboat Gravel. Yeah. Um, Crazy. And, 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 you know, that was a time when I actually started to explore coming back to the speaking and teaching and podcast stuff. I started a video series that's up on YouTube and, and Instagram mm -hmm. during that time. And Nathan was kind enough to say that there were quite a few of those videos that were getting him through because yep. I was also on a 14 week isolation. I don't, I'm, 14 Single. weeks. And so and okay. they had us shut down where I wasn't allowed to practice. And so mm -hmm. I could not go into my clinical practice for 14 weeks. And so I'm fortunate. I live in Boulder. The Boulder Creek is right across the street from me. I can, you know, walk up and down. I could go riding and feel safe. Yeah. Um, 
But as far as human contact, it was literally, I had to drive to Steamboat to get a friend to give me a hug. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, yeah. was, it's a, it was a wild experience. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, Nathan was expressing to me as he shared in your podcast that, you know, he, he's really made a big shift in, in what he values out of the riding and what's important in the world and how we show up. Yep. And, and um, the, how much that's changed and affected his training and his riding and his general wellness routine. Yeah. Yeah. Which is something I like to point out a lot when people talk about how rough COVID's been. And it's been obviously really rough for a lot of people. But there's medicine in that virus. I mean, it's transformed a lot of aspects of our society, I would argue, or people's lives individually for the better. I'm not belittling anyone's experience. People have died also. People have lost jobs. People have lost businesses. Like people have lost marriages. Yes. Although you could argue that if COVID resulted in your divorce, then it was probably coming anyway, most likely. Maybe not always, but. Maybe, yeah. you know, I mean, I definitely think that, that it's highlighted things. Mm. Uh, you know, you'll have to forgive my spicy language, but I've been calling it the, the universal bitch slap. Yeah, yeah. You know, that we as a, mm. a human species have kind of been jerks on this planet for a while now to each other and to the world. Mm -hmm. And and it's coming back at us. And, and it's a real opportunity. There's a blessing in every adversity. Yeah. And so this is an opportunity, you know, even for me to reevaluate how do I do what I do and mm -hmm. why am I, you know, showing up the way I do or not. Mm -hmm. and, and, and And I think that... Yes, it's a horrible tragedy, but when population is sort of the challenge on the planet, there's certainly going to be things that quell the population. Yep. Ours is the challenge of evaluating how we can alter and how we can move forward collectively in a positive way. Right. Yeah. Right. So, okay, good point for you to tell us what you do do. <laughs> tell us about yourself. Uh, well, I'm officially the mind, body, and soul mechanic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been a body worker for over 30 years, but I'm more poignantly a practitioner of Chinese medicine and have a, a wellness center here in South Boulder. And we have a full herb apothecary and we do lots of the traditional techniques, cupping, gua sha, uh, topical herbal applications. Uh, and I have a small herbal company where we do Chinese herbal formulas and some are infused with CBD as that's sort of the cutting edge of, of mm -hmm. wave of infusion of Western and Eastern medicine together, mm -hmm. yep. which is just mind, body, soul, medicinals, okay. mbsmedicinals.com. Um, that's me. Okay, cool. What, what does your client base look like? Do you work primarily with athletes or do you have people of all shapes and sizes? Well, historically, as you know, the, the athletes have been my bread and butter. Yeah. You know, my, my background in colleges and kinesiology, I was a, a racing cyclist, never a pro like you, but a racing cyclist, uh, much of my teens and twenties started with BMX and worked my way up to the road and did cross and, and, yep. and, and mountain biking until I broke my spine. Yeah. Um, and what I discovered was this beautiful fusion of massage and myofascial release, chiropractic and acupuncture was what got me better and got me back to shape. That combined with core exercise, Pilates was really the first thing I really explored. Uh -huh. yeah. um, and so for years I've worked in California, it was more NBA. Uh, we had a few NFL major leaguers, uh, a lot of UVP, you know, the volleyball pros mm -hmm. and, and, you know, cyclists here and there, golfers, you know, um, but then of course, when I relocated to Boulder in 2010, firmly immersed in the triathlon and, and cycling scene for, for more than a decade, mm -hmm. um, 
circling back around though in our conversation you know there was this big piece of this shift in what's happening in the world of really wanting to not just fix the hamstring that's always bugging somebody or that neck that they don't deal with because they're not looking at certain things but to work in a more holistic and mm -hmm. profound way with patients mm -hmm. to to help them you know really show up as a better version of themselves not just keep doing the old patterns and kind of you know who's the i can't think of the pro's name right now you know shut up legs oh that's Jan Voigt. Uh, yeah yeah yeah, Jan yeah. Voigt, right that, that that we just live in denial of all the things that are the alarm those pain alarm bells that we were just yep. talking about yep um and, and that's very prevalent in the athlete industry in a lot of ways and so you know i mm. i do still see a lot of athletes i do still do it is still the bread and butter mm. but i also really embrace and appreciate like with nathan when we work mm -hmm. with an athlete for a few years and then they start to evolve to this place of looking to a greater way of how they view the sport, how they view training and recovery mm. and, and finding some balance. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately I've seen a lot of athletes find a higher level of achievement in that space than the just go, 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 push, push, push. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even, you know, Neil Henderson is sort of a less is more coach these days in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've had a lot of conversations with coaches on my pod and I feel like that's, it's a theme for sure. Uh, had a great conversation with Jesse Moore. He's a coach based in the Northwest. Um, can't remember if he's in Bend or Seattle right now. Sorry, Jesse, but he, I mean, we definitely had some common ground there. Uh, many of my other coaches have conversations like that. And I think ultimately when you get far enough down the coaching road, you start to see that bigger picture and realize that to really to really serve someone and help them, you've got to dig beyond the sore knee or the helping the threshold power get better, right? Um, one of the conversations I had with one of my mentors at the Czech Institute, Matt Walden, he's uh, an instructor there, a senior instructor there. He's gonna be teaching my IMS4 class, which is coming up at the end of September of 2022. So I'm pretty excited for that. Excellent. And I've been mentoring with him online for um, almost a year now, and this will be the first time I get to work with him in person at that class, so that'll be great. But he taught me something that was quite interesting because Previous to this discussion with Matt, when I was working with a new client, in particular someone for bike fitting, I was sort of trying to feel them out and understand into it, I'll say, um, whether that client wanted to sort of work towards an immediate solution or whether they want to work towards the mother of the problem, mm -hmm. right? And, and that's a big distinction that I think once you're in that mindset of trying to help people in the bigger picture, teaching them how to fish rather than cooking a piece of salmon for them or giving them a absolutely a tin of sardines, then immediately you want to know where they fall on that spectrum because sometimes someone just wants an immediate solution. Sometimes they're like, man, my knee hurts and I want to go ride my bike next week. And there's nothing wrong with that mindset. I'm not here to demonize anybody's perspective. However, I need to understand if what their mentality is because if I try to teach them how to fish and all they want is a piece of salmon, then we're not going to get anywhere. They're, they're going to feel potentially dissatisfied with my service and also, um, I'm not serving their needs at the moment, even though I may come from this pedestal of, well, what's better for you is to learn how to solve this problem at the root. Yes. But that's an error in my judgment, perspectively, or, or potentially as well, because ultimately, if you're here to serve the client, I mean, this is a great, this is a great weed to get into, patch of weeds. Do I, if I understand that the client wants the immediate solution, do I then provide that for them? And then maybe 
plant seeds about seeing the bigger picture? Or do I tell them, no, you get the bigger picture. This is how I work. This is the service I offer. If you want an immediate solution, if you want massage and taping, so you can go ride next week and you don't care about the knee problem, then go work with this person or that person. I refer them out. And to rewind for a second, like until I'd had this conversation with Matt, what I was doing was trying to intuit this relationship mm -hmm. and this spectrum and where the person fell on that. And sometimes people want both. And he said, well, my client pre-appointment questionnaire, I just asked them point blank, do you want an immediate solution or do you want? And it was a great moment for me because I realized like in my head, for some reason, I'd sort of tabooed that discussion as though we couldn't address it directly. Of course, that's not my normal method. I'm a pretty, I try to be very direct, but for some reason in my head, I had, I had bookmarked that as a question you don't ask. And then Matt was like, well, just ask them. <laughs> and I went, oh, that's brilliant. So now I add that question to my questionnaire. I think I'm up to 66 questions in my pre-fit for, for bicycle fitting. Amazing. Um, well, and, yeah. and, yes and, and maybe no, a little right? overwhelming. Sometimes overwhelming. And, and I guess I would yeah. say yeah. I would find the middle ground. Mm. Um, you, you said the word root, right? It's really important that we identify the root cause. Mm. Is it something chronic? Is it acute? Mm. Mm -hmm. Is it even related to the symptom at all? Right. Right. Which is in the, the branch using that metaphor. Um, and so, you know, part of how I found orthopedics was my uncle was the chief of surgery at Cedar sinai in Beverly Hills and founded Beverly Hills Orthopedic. Okay. He's now retired. But when I was in the process of discerning whether I wanted to go into surgery mm. or other Western uh, medicine or the acupuncture school, I did a lot of observation. And one of the things that he had as a wonderful practice was to always give an A, B, and C option. Okay. Right. A being the like, acute one. Yeah. Like yeah. we can do an immediate thing for uh -huh. you. You can, you mm. can take ibuprofen, mm. right. Or, you know, his Western yeah. thing for you, that would be a different, you know, but we can solve this problem immediately. We can yeah. do this tweak on the handlebars or for me, I can get you out of pain today. Mm -hmm. Right. And get you to your race. B, However, we can talk about some exercises that realistically, if we, if we don't address the root of this, you need to start to do some homework stuff mm -hmm. or see you and I can work together to set a long-term plan Yeah. so that we both dig up the root and today chop off the branch. And if you're on board with the long plan, my recommendation is that we do option C, yep. but it's ultimately your choice. So mm -hmm. it's a full transparency and communication. Mm -hmm. You're telling them what you believe is the most powerful and poignant way to move forward. Yeah and offering that it is ultimately the patient's choice. And, you know, I used to be a person and I overworked myself for year after year after year who would, who would do whatever people wanted me to do because it was a service position, right? That's what we do. We serve people. Mm. Um, and after almost 30 years doing it, it feels like there's a power of some patients you should refer out and they're going to be better served by other people. Yes. Um, and, and, and that's a combination of the intuition and the questionnaire, mm -hmm. right? So it's kind of right in the middle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've been circling back on this question for me recently, as far as at what point do you have, when you have an ideological difference with your client, whether it's a client of coaching or bike fitting or working with in some other capacity, health, holistic health coaching, at what point do you there are different phases of reflection. At what point do you say, okay, this is me not being a good enough teacher because the person isn't seeing what I'm trying to show them. And then at the other point, 
what, when do you say, we just are not at the same level here. I'm on floor 42 and they're on floor whatever, 69 or 31. I'm not using the levels to indicate one person is above the other, just different floors, right? And we're not, we're not going to get to the same floor. So they would be better served by working with another person who can see them at their level or work in the paradigm they want to work with. And I go back and forth with that uh, in my head, in my own internal discussions, because on the one hand, I recognize that I want to be able to teach everyone my methods and hopefully they'll at least understand them and try them. And maybe if they don't work at that point, they come to me and say, I tried using your stuff and it doesn't work for me. That's cool. We're all humans, right? We all have our quirks and we have our view, our paradigm of how we view the world, our lens, right? And the way I'm thinking of it in particular is I've had discussions with clients recently where there's some clients who just literally want you to tell them during these five minute intervals, you should be doing 330 watts as your target. And this is a conventional way of coaching. They want instructions. This is not the way I work as a coach. And this is literally, do you want me to hand you a piece of fish or do you want me to teach you how to internally have a knowing of your own limit. Because on some days that limit will be 330 watts for five minutes and on other days it may be 370. But if I tell you it's 330 on the 370 day, you're going to limit yourself. You won't have belief. And on just as problematic, on some days you may be able to only to manufacture 290 watts for five minutes. But the lesson that I have learned in 35 years of racing is that even on those days, you can still sometimes win the fucking bike race. That's right. Pardon my spicy language. Yeah. So if you are doing 290 at a level where you think you should be producing 330 in terms of perceived exertion, and yeah. you have a mental meltdown and throw a tantrum in your own head or start calling yourself a piece of shit or spiral of shame into nothingness, and then you quit the bike race, which I've done a few times, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. And then, then what did you do? Did you serve like life will give you the lesson until you repeat, you know, the lesson will be repeated until you pass it. When you pass it, you may graduate and move on to the next lesson. That's right. But until you pass the lesson, it will be repeated recycled. Right. Well, and sometimes I, one of my clients, so I, I'm sure you learn a lot from your coaching clients. And one of my other friends, who's also a coach, uh, has a metaphor that I really like, uh, f- feather t- truck train. Yes. That the first lesson is just a little tickle, a tickle. from the universe. Mm. And that the second le- lesson is a little bit more of a, you know, significant whack. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then if you're not paying attention, then you get the train, yes. right? So, right. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I think that's very much a stubbornness thing. A- mm. And, you know. The volume goes up. J- just food for thought. I went through this transition in a lot of ways in Boulder because when I moved from California, Southern California in after the crash, basically the economy of 2008 mm-hmm. to here, uh, because there was a teaching opportunity at one of the schools here. Um, it's set on the books in the Colorado regulations that I could easily just fill out an application and they would endorse my California credentials. Okay. When I f- f- submitted the application, they did not. Ah, which meant I had to go back to doing massage only for the first time in like a decade. Mm. And I basically entered Boulder and the the cycling and triathlete world as a massage therapist. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the attrition rate in massage is 50% of the career people drop out after five years. Okay. 
I entered Boulder with, you know, almost 20 plus years of bodywork experience. And so I very quickly created a strong practice doing massage and bodywork. But it's only one of the tools. And quite frankly, when I get to use all my tools, we have a much better effect than if I just use my hands. And there came a point where I had to lose some clients because as I chose to evolve back to, and then when I made it to 50 years old, a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. I made the commitment, like, look, I've been doing this. I'm not a massage therapist. I do body work. Mm-hmm. Like I've even decided to just let my massage therapy license lapse because I really don't practice massage anymore. And that became something that a lot of the immediate fix yeah. patients Right. Wanted to, wanted to, oh, but can't you just do this one thing? Can't you just continue to do the thing that you've done for me before? And uh, my answer is we live in a place where there's 200 magnificent body workers where you could go and get some great body work. It's sort of a disservice to you mm-hmm. and a disservice to me if I'm not using my whole tool bag. Right? Yeah. And and, yeah. and and so um, I'm happy to make some referral recommendations. I'm happy to help you find someone, but there's going to come a point where I'm I'm no longer going to do this because it's not what I do, mm. and, and I'm wasting your time and mine. And so I, I've offended a few people, I guess, along the way because they're upset that they want to keep things the way that you know they want their special sauce the way they want their special sauce. Yeah. Um, but also believe that that commitment of integrity for yourself of really doing what you're good at and you're really good at what you do to, to, to just to be the best at what you can be and, and, and have integrity and boundaries about where this is good for both you and your client. Yeah. And when it becomes not that way, then a, a communication to a solution that serves both. I think guess the bike fitting equivalent of that would be, it's kind of funny because I'm there trying to do my best to serve people at the highest level possible. So I'm looking at their function and doing movement screens and having conversations about posture on the bike and breathing mechanics and these types of things that are hopefully are going to really move the dial because frequently when people come to see me, they've already been through a few rounds of bike fit and I'm not here to trash anyone else's work at all. I believe that though. It's just the, it's just the experience I have people come to me and they say, I've been through a few bike fits and it was very biomechanically oriented or even a further reduction to that would be very numbers oriented that they're using a, a, a retool system or something similar to look at body angles and that's all they see. And the, the lowest level of that would be, they looked at me from my right side only, you know, they're not even looking at left and right. They're not looking at posterior, anterior views, superior, inferior views to see what we see. How is the rider moving? Are the hips moving in the frontal plane or the rotate, you know, the, are they rotating in the transverse plane or are we just looking at knee angle and torsional angle from the drive side of the bike only? So, okay, again, not here to trash anyone's method. You know what you know and you see what you see. We all start somewhere and we grow and we get better, hopefully. Dig. That said, when I'm trying to do these bits and bobs and I'm spending a lot of money in my own education and time and effort to go study with Paul Check and the other things that I'm working on, Amen Academy and other resources I'm using to increase my tool shed or my tool chest. So I have more than just a screwdriver. Um, then I get to the point where there's an inevitable end in the bike fit where it's like, oh, well, will you install this new handlebar tape for me? Sure, I, I will, but my hourly rate is my hourly rate. So you're paying me 
an hourly rate that was crafted based on me doing IMS four, which is a $6,000 10 day program. And that's built into the cost of my fitting. I'm happy to install your handlebar tape for $180 an hour, but it's kind of silly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there's a point when you say, I'm not going to do this mechanical work on the bike. First of all, also because modern bikes are so complicated now. I mean, you know, it's like integrated everything and uh, I don't work on hydraulic hoses. So people come in and they want me to install handlebar. Well, that's cool unless your current bar is internally cabled. Sorry, I'm getting a little off in the weeds here on well, bike Well, not at all. I mean, this is important and it circles back, right back around to what we were talking about. Because I had a, it just, at this same level, like it's a boundaries thing, mm -hmm. right? Yes. And, and, and we can't serve all the people in all the ways that they necessarily want. And it's actually want. a disservice, a disservice. To, to let them across your boundaries. Yes. And, 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 you know, for me, I deal with a lot of people's emotional stuff as well as their physical stuff. And, you know, let's face it with the, the election and the politics and all mm -hmm. the things in COVID, mm -hmm. People are traumatized right now. There's a lot of collective angst and anger, and we all have permission to kind of be a jerk right now. And so, you know, do we though? Well, right. I mean, you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. And so, there's a piece of that where I was getting to the place, and quite honestly, it created a little bit of a meltdown in me of not enforcing those boundaries enough that over time I was basically being collectively abused by the yeah. people who were, you know, using that same metaphor, asking me to put handlebar tape on when mm -hmm. I, I should be working on, you know, their, their, their overall wellness. And they can easily go to any one of the great bike shops we have and get a great job getting it taped and having it for yep. 20 bucks for an 20 hour. Bucks an hour. Right. It's, and so we're leaking our energy. That's on us, ultimately, right? Yes, and I and I would say that that it's yes, exactly, nail on the head. Like it's really important. Um, most of the resentment that I suffer in life is because I've allowed something to exist in my space, mm -hmm. and, and then I'm frustrated. And the frustration is projected outward, but it's really frustration with me. It's right. Yep. Because I've allowed it to occur, but you know, this is why I stopped doing massages because mm -hmm. you know i did uh, 20 years of being a glorified lotion applicator and, and i'm <laughs> very very good at it and, I, and there's nothing better you know than a good relaxation massage mm -hmm. uh or okay skin hydration technologist <laughs> <laughs> right. but which is how i created my line of topicals and started doing the cream you know all the different cbd creams and aromas mm -hmm. because people would want different things out of the body work so i mean i definitely a lot of tools but to circle right back around to what you were asking is my, one of my teachers would say that on any given day, if you're open to the experience that you have all of the tools to serve the person that walks into your office that day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or they wouldn't be in your office. And, and, and I, you know, the other piece is, you know, bike fitting is a relatively young pro profession. True. You know, uh, similar to acupuncture. And so there's a big difference between someone like you who raced at the international level and someone who, you know, fascinated about bikes, decides to take a retool course, 
sets up a studio and then starts bike fitting. And so I'm sure those guys give a great basic bike fit. I mean, even back in the day, just the put the heel on the pedal and, you know, some of the old 107% of the inseam kind yeah. of things yeah. gets you pretty much in the ballpark. But when you're really trying to have a pain-free cycling experience, when you're really trying to move to that next level of performance, there are tweaks and twists and variations that someone like yourself who has a deeply intuitive understanding of cycling, but also continues to invest in the education and in the learning and in the, you know, the biomechanics of things. And only in any profession, whether you're an accountant or a bike fitter or a practitioner of medicine, only a small percentage are the people that are going to continue to invest in raising the bar of excellence so that they can serve their, their clientele. And, and, you know, a lot of why I circled back around and why we work with the people who we work with like Grant Holicky or Neil Henderson or some of these, Julie Dibbins, some of these top people on the planet here in Boulder because they continue to invest in the growth. And when the science changes and it shows that less is more and, you know, mm. one of the biggest things that scared me recently is the number of people like having heart issues or just dropping dead from atrial fibrillation because they spent so many years pushing the, you know, threshold ride for two hours every time they train. Yeah. And their heart's just fatigued. In the Chinese medicine, uh, they believe 70 beats per minute is a healthy heart rate. At rest. At rest. And if you're correct. And if you're mm. above that, you're work, you know, your your body's working too hard. If you're below that, and I'm oversimplifying, obviously, but that to a yeah. certain extent, your heart doesn't have the energy, it doesn't have the chi to manufacture. And, you know, I, one of my favorite quotes from the cycling world that Lance used to say, not Lance, excuse me, uh, Greg LeMond used to say, is that mm -hmm. it's not about who's fastest or fittest. Mm -hmm. It's who's freshest the day of the race. Mm -hmm. So true. Right? And what shifted in doping or performance enhancement was that it's not performance enhancement. It's recovery enhancement. Mm -hmm. The ability to get off the bike, heal more quickly, get the body back to normal levels so that you can go then out and achieve again and we would say in the chinese medicine that you know even though i've been there you know 45 beats a minute on you know waking you know resting heart rate that your body's basically telling you that you're fatigued and you don't have enough chi to manufacture the 70 beats per minute that's a good healthy rate you've over exercised correct <laughs> yeah which is why I love the science of using heart rate monitors and that people are being, we talked about the blood sugar thing the other day, like yeah. being clear about where your blood sugar's at and yep. really integrating what we know now with the new, the new science, but also having that intuition. I think rate of perceived exertion is a huge important factor in, especially in racing and competition. Mm. Just like you said, some days you might be pushing a higher wattage, but it's where are you feeling? How are you, you know, where are you at and how your overall, your mind, your attitude, your whole feeling uh, that allows you to create that, that day, that push, mm -hmm. whatever it is. For me, perceived exertion is the ultimate metric. Yeah. I, I think of it like a triangle. We have heart rate, which is your output. Uh, sorry, it's your body's response to load, right? It's the central nervous system response to what's happening. One of the one of the measures of that. There's several, but heart rate is one of the key ones. And then we have output, which is power. And then on the other end of that triangle, the other point, we have perceived exertion. And for me, heart rate and power are simply sounding boards and landing points. They're like buoys 
to help you refine your RPE. Yeah, so I love that. And but RPE is the single most important metric in sports. Ultimately, sport for me, simplistically, sport is about two things. Externally, it's about connection with nature. It can be about connection and community. And it can be about the one of the things that's unique a little bit to cycling or maybe, you know, cross country running, cross country skiing has this as well. A lot of sports don't depends on the sport is it connection of nature, but also there's an added component of exploration of environment. For sure. This is what's magic about a bike. Especially I can go for mountain a, biking. Yeah. Mountain biking, road ride. Right, I can yeah, go on a gravel, gravel ride, yeah. go do 68 J backcountry roads up to Magnolia, go find some random single track. I have a rule. If I see single track on a ride, I'm required to ride it if I've never ridden it before. It's, it's oh, just well. a rule. There you go. Should I live be. in Colorado. I've yeah, been riding here right 35 well. years. And you Doesn't grew up here, right? Often. So yeah. It doesn't happen that often, yeah. but I still find pieces of it. And so there's this magic component to cycling where you get to explore your environment and, and learn, and you can do it so much quicker than you can on foot. Of course, the quicker you go, the less detail you get, the less, uh, the more granular things become, but you get to cover greater distance. This it's one of the most satisfying and underrated aspects of a nice bike ride is yeah. I rode up to Peak to Peak Highway and back today. Yeah. I transported myself from my home and back in three hours. Yeah. And that voyage broadens, uh, like Huberman talks about this. He says, one of the things you should do first thing in the morning is to get up and go for a walk. Because when you walk, you move forward peripherally, you see objects passing you and what, okay, there's a little bit of deer in our DNA. What are we doing constantly when we survey the world? We're scanning for threat. We're looking for predators. Right. We're also looking for prey and mates and things like things that are sparkly, which means water, which is a source of survival for us. Also, we're looking for things that are brightly colored because they signify normally, not always, but sometimes the presence of poison. Yeah. Right? So, okay, we're surveying our environment. This is one of the reasons why when you look at a computer all day and everything is enhanced to apple colored 99 million pixels of a the ultimate brightness, or you sit and watch Avengers Endgame, your central nervous system is trashed, by the way. This should be intuitively obvious. If it's not, I'm not trying to punch you in the gut, but anyway. So no, it's, it's <laughs> what's been delivered to us, and especially with yeah. COVID and, and the internet and people the screens and, yeah. you know, right. and I know so many people that have become a lot more comfortable with the introversion and, and, you know, even mm. the format of, 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 uh, you know, binging on these stream watch channels, whether, you know, whatever the names of the channels are, where you can just watch program after program after program. On like, demand Game of Thrones. You, you feel like you can't, you can't go outside. You can't leave because you might miss the piece of the next episode or some clue that tells you the thing or whatever it is. FOMO is built into the next episode preview. Correct. Right. And, and so, you yeah. know, um, we've all been sort of programmed. And I think that that's a big piece of, it was for me, of the collective trauma and isolation of the last few years, like just feeling disconnected. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, travel's always been a way to do that. I might, it was my aunt's birthday last weekend. I had a chance to go back to LA. Cool. And just because I was already on the coast, I was like, you know what? Let me jump up to Seattle. And it was just, I went and uh, saw Keel Reinen on the island and, and spent a, a few hours with him. Mm -hmm. Another person who chose a shift in lifestyle and 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 improving his life and wellness. And he has this magnificent face on four out four acres on Bainbridge Island. And I showed up and he was berry picking with his daughter cool. between putting his bike back together for the next gravel race. And you know, um he just radiates light and positivity and and 
because he's made such awesome choices about the balance between performance and, and, and life and family and connectedness. Yeah. And, you know, I, I came back fully rejuvenated from just this three-day little jaunt, some trees, some nature, the island, the harbor, and Puget Sound. Some Such an incredible city. Yeah, can, yeah. yeah, reconnecting with positive community. Family. Family, exactly. And, yeah. and, and you know, my sail is full again. So, you know, and yeah. most of the time I was there, like, I didn't even take any pictures. I, I feel like I should do a Facebook post, but I haven't, <laughs> you know, I'll get around to it. So this is a Walter Mitty movie moment. Have you seen that movie? Yes. So at the end, he, he spends the whole movie trying to track down Sean to get the negative. <laughs> and he ends up on this side of this mountain in the middle of the Himalayas, right? And then there comes the snow leopard. And he says, they look at it for a minute and he's like, aren't you going to take the photo? And he says, sometimes when I really enjoy a moment, I don't like to take the photo because the camera gets in the way. That's absolutely right. I have this pet peeve. I see a lot of live music. We've got Fish in Town this weekend. Right. And one of my biggest frustrations is people that are standing Everybody there at a concert videotaping something. And A, I wondered, like, are they really going back and watching the video? And 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 why do you need to experience a concert else? through the cell phone? Because you're yeah. clearly not fully there. You're right. not truly, which I really appreciate. A lot of artists will now lock up your phone. Mm. And, 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 you know, I went to see Jack White recently. And he, and one mm. of the, greatest rock shows i've ever seen and, and he makes everybody lock up their phone cool. and then offers that he can then sell you photos or you can go and they'll you can get download free photos or video that their people have created as content for you because he wants you to experience the performance not try to experience it and record at the same Correct. time and so to obvious. say to you like look don't worry about it right yeah. we're gonna we're gonna make sure you can do that you can go back and look at it you can relive it but for now, that's a great way to be, be here. Prince did the same thing the last yeah. time I saw him before he died. He, oh, okay. he, he was a no, no, and they literally were throwing people out. If they saw your phone, they would throw you out. Yeah. But they came out before and said, look, we worked really hard to create an incredible show for you. And like, be here in this moment, be present yeah. mm. right here, right now. Cool. And, and experience cool. this. And wow, what a mind blowing when everyone in the room is intent on being in the experience. Changes it, the energy. It, it, it raises yeah, sure. raises the whole level of the experience. Yeah. So, okay, I got to rewind. So I was going on about connection with nature and transporting to places and that got you going on your voyage, which is great. Yes. The other part of athleticism for me is the internal connection, the knowing of the self. Yes. And that can be as simple as feeling, are my hamstrings firing? Are my glutes sore? Or how is my breathing, right? Am I able to take a full breath and feel expansion of posterior ribs while I'm riding in the drops, for example, just to give you a random nugget. Yes. But that goes back to our conversation about RPE, power and heart rate. For me, any athletic journey is has to be partially, at least, about knowing the self, knowing the limit. If it's a competitive athlete and you want to know the, the self in a competitive arena, then it becomes about knowing your limit and then comparing what your limit was relative to other competitors. Yeah. Right? And if you're Lance, you turn that into smash everybody's dick in the dirt because Lance is an angry man who's dad left him when he was a boy and he's still pissed off about it. <laughs> Good for him. Touche. That was never my MO. And I'm not saying I'm better than Lance. I'm just saying I had a different lens. It was more internal and about throttling myself and then looking at the results sheet afterwards and going, hmm, that guy throttled himself more than me. Or maybe throttled himself less, but he was just better than me. Had a higher VO2 or whatever. Okay, cool. So there's all those nuances to work out. And we play that cycle over and over again in racing. Sometimes... 
If you're me, you have to do it for 25 years before you're ready to go, okay, I've done this enough. I still compete for fun, but I don't need to have that exploration so much anymore. And that's just where I'm at. But yes, the point I'm driving at is that athletics fundamentally is about this internal knowing of the self, knowing where you are, knowing, living in your body, being present, putting the phone down and looking internally and feeling, feeling is that that's a four letter word in our Especially for men. For men right now, still, even though the 60s were a long time ago, somehow it's survived. We haven't killed that dragon yet, slain that dragon. Well, somebody has to work really hard. I mean, feelings are scary, right? (laughs) So, (laughs) but we feel the things and we have a knowing into ourselves. And this is how, just like the old Latin saying is, know thyself. Yeah. This is how you can walk through the world with authenticity and to reverse or rewind back to Another point we were making earlier is about us leaking our power out to people who we want to serve is we can't truly know our yes, our most precise and effective yes, until we clearly define our no. And in your case, your no was was massage. It It was lotion applicator. That part's going to be a no so that I can further refine my yes and serve people in a better way. Correct. Is that accurate? Yes. And ultimately, to to, to point directly at what you're talking about, Mm. is to truly connect with spirit in a way with people instead of just having a physiological road experience. Mm. Right? A mechanical experience versus a comprehensive experience. And, And, you know, I think we're seeing this evolution with coaches you know, the word that comes to mind is attenuation, right? Mm -hmm. Like our bodies are masters at ignoring things. Like think about the first time you put on a watch and for the first few days, it was just annoying as heck. And then within a month, the only time you ever notice your watch is when it's not on. You're like, Oh my God, where's my watch. Right. Mm -hmm. And and I, that's very much, especially with endurance or ultra endurance athletes. This is a problem, right? Where, we're, our bodies are used to tuning things out. And as soon as a, a musculoskeletal pattern exceeds what I call your functional fitness and your endurance or your true fitness is still there, mm. but your functional fitness has been exceeded, then your body's going to compensate immediately without us asking to do so. And this is when we start to see pain patterns, right? Like, so as it's not firing, so glute won't fire. And they end up pulling harder with one the opposite shoulder. So they're starting to get neck and shoulder tension on one side. And then all of a sudden the hamstring goes yep. out on that yep. same side, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, our bodies are masters of adaptation. And so the, the uh, you know, big picture, little picture, we're going through an evolution of consciousness in humanity right now. Some people are. Well, <laughs> let's let's be generous. Okay. Right? Yeah. We as humanity are going through an evolution. Cool. And in any evolution, there's always a leading edge and a tailing edge. There's always a bell curve. Yes. Right? But I also think we're seeing this in the athlete world and the coaching world, right? Where some coaches are starting to recognize that the shut up legs mentality, although it serves a lot of high performance also doesn't allow for the awareness, the connectedness to spirit. What we would really, if we're being expanding the concept of rate of perceived exertion, that also includes how do you feel? How is that rib muscle? How is the hamstring? Yes. How's my heart rate? Yes. You know, because, you know, a high performance car, your most power is, you know, in the lower RPMs, 
right? Mm-hmm. And, and so you, you don't want to always be revved into the red zone. Same thing, right? In, in martial arts or in the Chinese world, we call it Wei Wu Wei. Mm-hmm. Bruce Lee was a big proponent of this. It's literally translated action without action. Yes. But it, it actually means effortless doing. The way right? I think about it is perfect action. Is Correct. Well, okay. but, but, with but, but, with, but, but with like a certain amount of ease yes. and pleasure. Yes. Right. And you and I both know that sweet spot on the bike where you're fit and you're in the right spot and you don't feel like you're overexerting and you're like, man, I'm just hammering right now. And no feels, chain day. Right. And it no. feels really good. Mm. And there's that ease of staying in that spot in life. You know, uh, that that mm. is powerful and, and, and poignant for athletes as well as any individual of, you know, if you're really struggling, you're probably swimming against the current. Well, this reminds me of my conversation with Ron Kochevar. He's a PT, lives in Denver, and he's a very um, spiritual man. And he talks about the difference between pushing towards a goal or being pulled towards a goal. Yeah. And how pushing causes friction yep. because it's want. It's based fundamentally, it's based on something you want. You decide you want this thing. Mm, so yes. you're pushing towards it. I want to win this race or be this fit or have this threshold or uh, whatever, be on this team or um, you know, win a contract. And you set an external goal and you push towards it. And that's a very different mentality than setting a goal, but then allowing yourself to be pulled towards the goal. Yeah. And Pulling his argument, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit and speaking for him a bit, but fundamentally, this, I think this is the same concept we're talking about now. When you're pulled towards a goal, you're going to work in alignment with when you can make progress towards the goal, it's going to come naturally. You're going to put effort in, but not in the sense that you're always, when you're pushing towards a goal, you're always trying to optimize every bit, assuming that if you just do a little more, you'll get there sooner. Right. And I've had this conversation in various forms with some of my athletes where, for example, they're wondering if they're going to make a particular team in the future and they're working, they're pushing towards that goal, pushing towards that goal. And I say, okay, let's do a little thought experiment. Imagine yourself in the future now and you, and, and imagine that you've already made that team. I say, okay. I say, now imagine in the present moment that you have already made that team. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. How would you change things? You've already, you're already on the team. You're already on the Olympic team in LA. Now, right now, you know you're on the Olympic team in LA. How does that change things? Instead of you pushing, pushing, pushing with this almost desperate edge, instead, what would you do? You would relax just that little bit, that 3%. Instead of always looking for every possible advantage or, or micro gain, incremental gain, marginal gain, whatever, uh, instead of assuming that if you just do more, it'll ensure your chances of this unknown. Now you've accepted you're already on that team, the world championship team, or maybe it's just whatever team you want to be on for next year. It doesn't have to be at this level. It's the same concept for everyone. It's not only for an Olympic level athlete. It can be getting the next job. It can be getting a date, <laughs> right? So right. this is manifestation, right? It's, it is. And I, I, I don't like to demonize language and and visualization. It is. It is. And I don't like to demonize language, but I think that one's pretty heavy right now. It's well, it's got a hippie trippy feeling to it where a lot of people are back to the, what's the book I'm thinking of the pop culture book that made it 
so many these days, it's hard. I, I understand one what you mean, that in my mind is the archetype of it. It was like how to think yourself richer, not think and grow richer. It's a different one, but anyway, you get the point. I, I do. I, I do. Um, there's a p. Yes, I agree with that. I mean, what comes to mind? A lot of this is rooted in in in, in Eastern philosophy, Taoism, Buddhism, yep. Taoism in particular. But what comes to mind is, is the Yoda statement, right? Mm -hmm. Do or do not. There is no and try. There is no try. And so many people spend all their time in the try yeah. instead of just relaxing into the moment and visualizing, I can raise the X-Wing fighter, right? <laughs> like, I, you know, um, I do a fair amount of coaching in my practice. And I was talking with someone about, you know, job interviewing. Mm -hmm. And I, I am the employee that that is good for your company. Like, see yourself as their employee. Mm -hmm. You know, that visualization of where you are, like you said, in the present and in the future, sort of frees you of that fear of future. Yes. So that you can be present. It releases anxiety. Anxiety is just obsession with the future. Yeah. Right? Whereas depression, you could say, is an obsession with the past. Yeah. Yes. And there's this inherent flow. Yeah. Again, that Asian metaphor. In, in the Tao Te Ching, they there's a lot of metaphors of water. Yes. And the flow of water. And I think so many people are like holding on to the rocks, rocks right now. Like, oh, crap. I don't want to let go. I don't want to let go. Or trying the, so desperately to steer the raft in right. this raging current. Yeah, but the current's going where it's going, right? And so why not relax? Mm -hmm. Be present? Again, in the Tao, it says the wise man has the patience mm. to allow the proper path to unfold. And in the in-between, mm. you tweak a little bit one way. You tweak a little bit the other way. When mm. I first moved to Boulder. Yeah. It took me about six months to recognize that the pace at which I was trying to hustle and pursue and push and do was too fast for this community. You came from California. From yeah, I came from LA, right? I mean, Makes it's a sense. hustler city. Yeah. And my sister and family yeah. live in New York. So, yeah. you know, and, and I started to see things happen. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I, I need to relax. I need to slow down and learn to receive, learn to have things mm. occur when they're ready to occur instead of forcing them to occur. But the the pace of the river in Colorado has quickened it, well, in the last 10 years, would you we've agree? We've gotten a few few people from all of those well, cities, importing, right? importing people from the other cities has, has changed the culture. The that's right, yeah. very different. Yeah, and I'm not saying again that's good or bad, but people used to come from LA and New York and say, man, it's just so relaxed here. Yeah. And to you, when you're in that river for a long time, it just feels like the only known universe for you unless you travel a lot. So it's hard to see the pace of the river you're in because it's your entire, it's all the, it's everything. It's your, it's your known. But that's one of the reasons why my wife and I like to visit Spain so much because we get off the plane immediately. Oh, the go pace from, is so much slower. We go from pretty solid river to like trickling stream. Yeah. Immediately. With a siesta. Right? <laughs> yeah. Which is a little pond. Well, you know. every afternoon. <laughs> a, a younger high level athlete that, I don't know if, I don't know if you know Denzel Stevenson. No, um, but, I don't but I do. he's a you know Boulder high school UCU Boulder. Um, you know, he was a U.S. national cross champion at fourteen. You yeah, know, sort of typical uh, high performance. And this is a great kid who, you know, started to see more balance and perspective in life, and got fascinated by art, and got into a school where, man, that got a full ride to race for their school, mm -hmm. and is then majoring in art. And combining the both and he's in Atlanta and being in a city in the south away from Boulder and then coming back to Boulder 
this I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago. He's like, man, it's so different. The energy is so intense here. Yeah. And I couldn't see it until I just like you said, till I left and came back. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and mm. you know, this is sort of brings us right back to where we were in the conversation of where's the line of doing the immediate thing that is the request or the service that the that the client is asking for. Mm finding some compromise between that and what you believe is the most poignant thing and insisting on the, the poignant thing. Right. And, and, and a little bit, the difference between East allopathic medicine in some yeah. ways and, and more homeopathic medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really important to empower our patients and, and you can't have this paternalist perspective of, well, this is what you should do. Right. Which is really a paradigm of, MDs for a long time and priests. Well, right. Right. Well, that's the nature of figures. Well, but aren't those both areas where don't worry about, don't worry about reading the Bible. Let us just tell you what it means. (laughs) Right. I mean, and I I went to Catholic school. Yeah. I I live as a man for service of others because I went to a Jesuit school because the Mm -hmm. Jesuits are awesome, Mm -hmm. but there's always a piece of that dogmatic. Here's what you're supposed to believe. Yeah. Um, Don't, don't know how to think. I'm going to teach you what to think. Yeah. The difference. Well, and this is and this is the piece really that kind of brought us here today, which is this discussion that is is a little tense on the edges of what they're calling TDN, right? Therapeutic dry needling. Yeah. And and, and acupuncture. Yeah. Is that there are some people on the western side, the allopathic side that are very dogmatic about trying to convince you that what they're doing is something completely different and you, this is what I need to do. And it's totally different than, than that other thing. And it's, it is, and it's not, Okay. <laughs> but there, but there's an offering of the same discussion that we're having. Here's one side. Here's the other side. Here's the middle side. What do you think is best for you? It's one of the reasons why over the years I've referred so many people to Charlie Merrill mm-hmm. because he's sort of the yin to my yang in a lot of ways Mm. that we're basically the same guy, but he came to it through physical therapy and, and, and dry needling and, and Western studies. And I studied the Eastern philosophies and kinesiology, but Chinese medicine and herbs and all those things. I don't know, man. I think he was the yang if he went the Western route. You're, you're absolutely (laughs) right. He was the yang. Yes. Okay. Um, but, in some ways he's a more yin personality and I'm a more yang personality. So there's Mm. that balance. And I send plenty of people to him over the years because I recognize that, you know, particularly for those patients who want to chop that branch off and really want to do the immediate solution. He's amazing at Mm. that. And, and, and that's a really powerful tool when used appropriately of the dry needling. Like Mm. it can, it can make the immediate change powerfully okay but it may only be chopping off the branch right right and again to our point sometimes people need that if they're injured and they have a competition coming next week or three weeks from now and their glutes locked up or they're having cramps or whatever or a muscle that's just not firing and we need to activate it right that's that's right these are occasions correct me if i'm wrong these are potentially good applications of dry needling absolutely because it's all based on that nature of a a trigger point right right and and what travel and simone determined was that the trigger point is essentially this space in each and every muscle where it's 
proprioceptively relating to the cerebellum, to our brain, which tells us about posture and muscle firing and muscle movement. Mm -hmm. And the word itself, proprio, right? It means self. Mm-hmm. Proprioception is our knowledge of our self. self. It's our yeah. rate of perceived exertion, right? right. Um, and, and so using a trigger point, particularly in the example like you're talking about, like, you know, glutes not firing. And so using a trigger point or using a trigger point and then using electric stim to, mm-hmm. to send some proprioceptive feedback. Mm-hmm. To wake up that neural connection. To wake up that neural connection. Yeah. Is a wonderful tool. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side of that coin, you know, if a muscle is hypertonic and it's just locked to p- put a needle in and just let it rest, mm. just like you would holding a trigger point until it starts to release. Yep. When yep. the body, and this is one of those areas where cupping comes in and is an amazing way to release tissues mm. because the way that that feedback loop works, right, is that the cerebellum and those Golgi tendon organs and muscle spindles, they're talking about stretch, rate of stretch, and movement to the brain. Mm-hmm. And if we take something like a cup and we stretch the tissue because it's suction and it's pulling on the fascia, pulling on the tissue, and just leave it there, or if we put a needle into a tight muscle and we leave it there, initially it might be perceived as a threat. Or you let it sit for a while. Yes. But if you just let it rest over time, that feedback loop is constantly going. Yeah. And it's amazing to watch because after, you know, five, 10 minutes, it really depends on the, what we would call the state anxiety, Mm. right? How stressed is the person on the table Mm. as to whether they release in five minutes or 15 minutes. Hmm. But the body then you goes through this shift where the brain says, you know what, there's this extra length, there's this extra tension, but it's not causing any harm. Yeah. In fact, we'd probably be better off if we just relaxed. And the body goes, oh, mm-hmm. and man, that is the powerful release when you can relate to the nervous system in a way that gives it permission to let go of the guarding instead of sometimes what can be a bull in a china shop method of release, release, release. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is something you learn also. A lot of body workers have this, you know, this is the fine line of a good massage versus one that kind of beats you up is a yeah. muscle, you know, if, if you allow it to invite you in, a muscle will invite you in, right? But if you just push, 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 go, go, go. And this is the same same concept in movement or cycling training about being pushing towards a goal or being pulled towards it. It's the same thing. It's exactly. Are you going to go on a day where you you can feel that hard intensity on the bike will be constructive for you and you're being pulled towards your goal of going faster or is it on your calendar in your training diary or in your training software and the coach said i have to do this whatever three by 20 or four by eight or whatever and i have to do it and i feel like complete crap i got five hours and 59 minutes of sleep last night and i haven't had time for breakfast and i've got six work meetings but i can jam this hour and 15 minute work in them right now Now's my opportunity. I'm going to go smash it and I'm going to make it happen. And look, there, there are arguably moments for both (laughs) in an athlete's because there's a, there is a point in every athlete's training where you have to say, this is it. Life happens. I have to get some work done today, period. Even if I know it's not quite the optimal day, a wise athlete will taper that workout or, or temper it. We'll say, with just enough work to accomplish something, but not to push them over the edge. That's one of the pieces of wisdom I've taken a long time to learn myself. Like, okay, 
is this the freshest day in the universe for me? No, but I, it is my opportunity to get work done because tomorrow's nuclear with work and the next day is this and the next day is that. So this is my shot. I've got to get something done today. So how can I, how can I craft my workout, change it, alter it slightly, rotate it so that it's still constructive, but I don't go nuclear because I use this expression with my athletes a lot. Tired is good. Nuclear, nuclear fallout is bad. Uh, there's very, very, very rarely a chance in an athlete's career, an opportunity or a time, a moment to go nuclear with training load. I mean, I'm talking like you've got to be in the sport at least 10 years and you've got to do it at just the right moment. And then even then it's a calculated risk. It's a risk yeah. reward equation, but that's one in a thousand. So for the rest of you, stop trying to go nuclear on every workout, please. And instead just achieve a level of tiredness anyway. But that conversation about flowing towards a goal as opposed to pushing towards it makes me think about the paradigm of convergent or divergent lines. So what I think of is this is the model I have in my head and how I describe it to my athletes on there comes a point in every athlete's career or awareness, we'll say <clears throat> where they become conscious of the health choices they're making and the choices they're making for their athletic performance. And these, I think of these as being on two lines and the choices you make for your athletic performance may put you on a path that is divergent from the choices you make for general health. Yes. Right. And I will say that arguably that is only justified for someone who's making a paycheck or about to make a paycheck in sport. I, I, I just had this conversation with a guy last week. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Cause I, I have one, I have one athlete that's going to do athlon worlds in Switzerland this weekend. Okay. And you know, he, he's got kids, he, he's, uh, you know, uh, in the publishing business and very, you know, he's, he's a busy guy. Yeah. And so he's an amateur athlete. He's going to do Athlon Worlds as an amateur. He's not correct. He's not a pro. Okay. He's not a pro. Um, and he's been having some issues and he's just got a brand new TT bike mm. and he was signed up for, he was signed up for this race here last weekend in Boulder. I can't remember which one, mm -hmm. uh, but it was a duathlon and you know, Partly he had signed up. It was on the schedule. He yep. had to do it. Just it was in the Training Peaks app, right? You know, so he had to do it. Plus it was preparation for his world. Plus it was prep for world. And he hadn't done a race effort on the bike. Yeah. On the new bike, the new shiny bike. Right. And it was it's really sexy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and so, and my advice to him is, you know, where are your priorities here? And for him, triathlon, particularly being an ambassador for the sport of triathlon and duathlon has been really important to him. Mm -hmm. And and he okay. sees it as his community service. Mm. And so, and, you know, he also recognized that if he went out and smashed it, he probably could have won the race here in Boulder. And his goal at Worlds is finishing. Okay. Because it's one of those that like up to 40% of the race, people don't even finish. Okay. Because sure. it's a run, bike, run race. So super high attrition rate. Yep. Yeah. And so, and I said, look, what's more important to you? What, you know, what is it that you really value here? And no, he's not getting a paycheck for this one, but he's an ambassador for, for endurance sport for the United States. And that he's an ex soldier. Like it's important to him. Right. And, and so I was like, well, you know, then maybe you shouldn't even go to the race on Saturday. Maybe you should get out, get on the road, have a nice, easy spin, get to know this bike, do a couple of race efforts. So you get to feel what it feels like at race pace on your brand new bike. Mm -hmm. But you know, step back from the plan, do what fits into what feels good and what is not a, a push for you this week right. so that you can now go to worlds and, and crush it at the, at the world level and finish the race. Right. 
and have a higher performance. And so I think, you know, meeting the program, particularly if you were up late with the kids or the boss asked you to stay for a couple of extra hours. And I've certainly been through, through that where I had, you know, crazy patient day and I came home and I'm training for a century yep. and I'm supposed to get a long ride in and, you know, have I done things where I'll come home, have a nap and then wake up at 10 o'clock at night and put it in two hours on the trainer? Sure. I have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that always the best way to do it? No, probably not. Probably not. Yeah. Um, but there yeah. is that balance of what has to get done mm -hmm. to be able to achieve the goal yeah. versus what's a balance of, of healthy. And again, this is a conscious evolution. I think that as a coach, as a trainer, um, it's important for us to find a balance of that, of trying to help our clients raise the awareness of themselves mm. and to like you said earlier, not just hand them a program, but to empower them, to teach them to fish, to empower them with the tools to know when, you know, here's what I'm supposed to do today, but I probably shouldn't do this. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, it's like this discussion that I often have with runners. You're not a runner. Yes. You're Tom who runs. Right. Right. What, you're Mary you who runs. Yeah. You're not a cyclist. You're Colby who races a bike. Right. Right. And, and, and not deriving our entire identity from being an age group, you know, bike racer or, or triathlete or, you know, which inherently also includes then your entire self-worth when you look at the results and you were eighth instead of fourth or right. And somebody throwing an elbow at the Boulder Roubaix for like 14th in a class four race or something. It's just, yes. Yes. Unnecessary, you know, so. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. And there we are back on the bell curve, right? Like, yeah. but some people are really going to evolve to this place of doing it for greater consciousness and, and mm. community and mm. health and connection with nature and adventure and all those things that we're talking about. Yep. And then there are some people that are out there, me, smash, bike, win, medal, get medal. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's just always going to be the case. And like we spoke about last week or two weeks ago, whenever we met, you know, what are you, what are you running from? when you're in that mentality or what are you running towards? Yeah. What, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? What are you trying to push towards? It's a good question. I think athletes, I think they owe it to themselves to really carefully examine their motivations for being in sport and be intimately aware with them. And to tie it back into Chinese medicine for a moment, um, I'm on the journey of learning more about this. And so I'll, I'll take a stab at, synopsizing some of it and please add or correct as, as needed. But a big part of it is about understanding the relationship with your own organs. Yes. And understanding those organs house emotion. They're related to emotion. And this is a basic concept. If people already think I'm way out in the weeds or this is too woo, just bear with me for a second. This is really easy to illustrate. All emotional responses, all of them have a a physical or somatic component. Oh, absolutely. Right. Norman Cousins proved that in the fifties. Right. But we don't, but people, I say this to them now and they look at me like a deer in the headlights. It's not commonly known. So easy example. I mean, imagine you're on a bike and you're crossing an intersection. You have right away and a car comes through and runs a, a stop sign and almost hits you. What's going to happen in your body, right? You're going to Immediate tense. fight or flight response. Every muscle, yeah. heart rate's going to go up, sweat race is going to increase, adrenaline's going to, adrenals are going to fire this massive pulse, right? Cortisol levels are going to shoot through the roof. You're going to be probably shaking. If it was almost a really close high speed thing and you actually thought you might break some bones or die, 
you can be shaking for a few hours, right? Yeah, I've actually gotten sick before from, so I like had to get off the bike and vomit because I got so close to getting hit by a car yeah. on the road. Yeah, yeah. So this, we, we all can quickly see this cause and effect relationship, we'll say, between the event and our response. Now, if you really want to get philosophical, you could say all responses are choices. But anyway, this one we would consider to be pretty automatic and more or less causal, right? And because it's so primal to our survival, it's a threat to your, your survival or your health. Okay, fair enough. And the body's hardwired to have that yeah, response. It's autonomic. It's, it's, autonomic. it's physiologically hardwired. Correct. Uh, my Snake point, brain. My point being, yes, exactly, reptile brain. But my point being is that we also hear stories about monks who can control heart rate and body temperature of different limbs. So you can control autonomic responses if you're willing to sit in a cave for 40 years and work on it. In any case. Well, or not, right? I would I would really strongly encourage you to read or listen to Andrew Wiles talk on breathing. He has a he yeah. has a tape and, and thing. But but I study a little bit of his stuff. Right. And so, but mm -hmm. it's really important to recognize that breath is the axis, right? We have you're talking it's about window. right, yeah. Into you're talking the, about yeah. automatic, autonomic yes. functions yes. versus somatic functions. Correct. And there's only one. That goes both ways. It goes both ways. That's right? why breath is the entry point into control of these responses. And it's the and key to the soul, right? Even mm. the even the physiological word that we use for breathing, inspiration, inspiratus, yes. right? It means to bring spirit into the body. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and this is why Tai Chi, this is why yoga, because what we're doing is we're creating postures and bike fitting. Yes. We're creating postures that allow for the greatest opening of ourselves mm -hmm. because we don't we don't take in air that's why it's harder to breathe at high altitude right what we do is we create space we open the we lung. open lungs the lungs, lungs open muscles. the chest diaphragms we open lungs are not muscles nope. they're passive sacs that's right that's yeah. why the diaphragm is a muscle that allows space for the lungs to expand like a balloon and the intercostals and yes. the sternocleidomastoid and pec minor Hopefully and all these other muscles right well, yeah, but, but, yeah, right, but when yeah. they're actively doing, especially when we call forced inspiration, yes. right? Those muscles, all they're doing is opening up it as big as they possibly can so, so that as wow. much air can go in. Correct. It's a negative pressure. Correct. And it equalizes with the, yeah, it's like opening your fridge to air condition your apartment. And, and, and so does it take 40 years to get to a place to learn how to breathe? No, hopefully no, not. No, <laughs> and, and so, you know, like posture is very important. And one, yeah. you know, one of my great teachers, Lonnie Jarrett, who's just a brilliant mind in the Chinese medicine and who really talks a lot about this integration of five element theory mm -hmm. and integral consciousness, mm -hmm. right? R relating, conscious relation with people and how that fits into the five element emotional paradigm. Right, right. Um, mm. Right, that it's it's not enough to just practice these practices, but we have to be. We have to embody to, to embody the practice. Same thing. You can go do monster walks with your your stretchy bands all you want, but if you get on the bike and you never you don't integrate the movement, the the guidance of glute med and TFL during your pedal stroke, then you've isolated, but you have failed to integrate. That's right. Same concept. We can go sit in our basement or in our yard or on top of a rock and do all kinds of cool breath work and meditation. But if we never bring that practice into doing dishes or having a discussion with our spouse or yeah, you all the, the daily activities. What I like to do, because I live right by the trails here, yeah. is what I call a yin hike, mm -hmm. right? A lot of times goal oriented, our, our goal is to accomplish the hike. 
get to the top of that mountain. Right. But I live right at the bottom of Put it on Strava viewpoint trail, which takes you up towards Flagstaff and then over to Chautauqua. Cool. And what I'll do is meticulously gentle step mm -hmm. and feel my feet underneath me and feel my knees stiffen and feel my hips support and walk an entire up and down. And it's, if I do it that way, it's about a 90 minute loop. And not only do I get an amazing workout, yeah, but I come back like grounded and centered and with new ideas and, about where I'm at in and, life. And, and the chi is rejuvenated, oh, not man, drained. No. Right. You're cultivating yeah. energy, yes. not expending. Not expending. Energy. You're working in, not working out. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so even, you know, that's the slowing down to that super slow, what would be annoying conversational pace for most people on a bicycle. Mm -hmm. We now know that that has such tremendous benefit. We should probably spend most of our time there. There. Yeah. <laughs> I ride there quite a bit. Yeah. And then automatically all the things you're talking about. When I, when I was a kid and worked selling bikes, I used to tell people I sold happiness. Nice. Because, <laughs> right? Because when you get a person on a bike that fits and they have that experience uh, and that was the way we used to do it. We used to even tell people like, hey, look, if you, have you tried all the brands in town? And they're like, well, no, we heard you were the best bike shop. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, we're great. We have all these brands. We have X, Y, Z. But you need to go try every bike in town. And 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 then if they come back then and then know. they ride out the door and they come back in after one model, mm -hmm. you know, maybe it's the Cannondale or the Trek or the Specialized or the whatever. Mm -hmm. And they have just that shit eating grin on their face. Yeah. You're like... So should we get you a helmet and some gloves with that bicycle? There's no sales involved. Yeah. Like they're a kid in the candy store again. And there's that happiness. And for me, you know, people talk about flow, right? Like in the flow on, on the road, on the gravel, on the trail, on the single track, there's nothing more like the fun factor is exponential. It's mm -hmm. just so rejuvenating. And are you getting a workout? Absolutely. Are you working hard? Nah, I don't Not necessarily. So. Yeah. No. Yeah, that's a concept I try to to give my clients uh, whenever they're I feel that they're receptive to it. Is that letting go of the push, letting go of being at the top of the zone, the optimization of watts. You know, a lot of times I get a question like, "Did I do the workout right?" I don't know. You tell me, man. Well, and pain is that alarm bell, right? Pain is that mm -hmm. alarm bell, probably telling you that you're working too hard. You're pushing too again, hard. Again, back to the balance of if you have a goal, if your goal is to be Colorado State time trial champion. You're going to have to put yourself through some pain. That's right. You're going to have to do hard intervals because time traveling is hard. But from a Chinese medicine perspective, you tell me, I mean, you know, when you and I were racing as youngsters years ago, uh, most of the events were, we'll say, of normal length. Now it's in vogue well, to do stuff. Not all of them. There was the Boulder to Breckenridge road race, which was way ahead of its time. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah. Literally from Boulder to Breck. And it was like the winning time was for JB, when he won it one year, it was like, well, and the course classic used to go from Coors all the way up to the top of Mount Evans, right there. That's true. Right. That's true. I mean that those were pros, but then the, those races started to trickle down to amateur levels. Now we have a thousand people showing up or whatever for unbound and for steamboat and for these races, unbound is lead boat, lead boat, Iron we're Man, do Iron Man became Ultraman at 10,000 feet yeah, or 8,500 in steamboat. Right. So it's like. I mean, okay, there's an old rule, right? I mean, if we're talking about governing of energy, a theme in our discussion, our own energy with our clients or as an athlete about defining your no so that you can have the right yes, this is an essential concept in cycling. And I would argue it relates to American culture and Absolutely. European culture. Absolutely. 
a differing perspective is that fundamentally Americans tend to think of bike racing as an ergometer test and that the strongest rider should win. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you think that way, nope, not you are, close. you're not, no, there's only one thing that matters. That's the rider that crosses the line. This is why competition is so brutal. And Europeans understand this inherently that cycling is more a blend of having an, as many bullets in your holsters you can have and using those bullets at the ideal moment to uh, win the right. race. That's right. And if you cross the line, uh, another way to think about that is if you're dumb enough to pull me to the line, then I'm smart enough to out sprint you. Like this is on you. There's no badge of honor for being the strongest rider in a race. There's a The first badge goes to who won. And this is bike racing. If you think this is unfair, you should maybe consider being a marathon runner because that sport is more about whoever's strongest or only do hill climbs. Good luck because there's four of those left in the US. Sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> you could go do all four of them. And then on the on that <laughs> day, even then, arguably, there's still chess involved. But well, right. chess is part of it. So where was I going with that? I just went in like five different tangents. Well, about that nature of knowing when to push. Yes. And and and, and you know, like use your gun gun when it's appropriate. Like yeah. even in that context of the 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 acupuncture versus dry needling conversation. I'm an acupuncturist who believes that dry needling is, is an important tool, mm. right? Like it should be used. And, and, and let's be clear in, in Chinese medicine, we call it ashur. It's a S H I. Mm -hmm. and, and it's the oldest form. Like mm. it kind of literally it translates. Where's the owie, mm. right? Where does it hurt? You touch the muscle. Oh, oh, that's the spot. You put the needle there. That's dry needling. Okay. Right. And it's a very powerful tool. Antibiotics are an amazing tool. Right. Right. Where's the but, owie? But, but, Put the antibiotics but, on them. Right. Yeah. But you don't bring a bazooka to a knife fight. Well, but right. that's sort of the allopathic way. And, yes. and so uh, the, the, the balance is this, this, this place of where, you know, a lot in the West, especially in sport, we've been told to tune things out. We've been told to not feel. Mm. We've been told to ignore, to achieve the goal. Right. And glorification of Western sport in some regards is about pain tolerance. And that is by definition, trying to shut out or ignore the pain. Yeah. As opposed to the concept of sitting in the crucible. That's right. Yes. Right. And, and having that craft and mold you in the way, yes. right? That's the alchemy of sport. Yes. And the alchemy of medicine mm -hmm. is finding out where that space is that yes, you're in, there are going to be uncomfortable places, mm -hmm. but having that proprioception, having that kinesthesia having that rate of perceived exertion and that that tells us where what's the difference between injury pain yeah and and crucible pain yeah 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 <laughs> right? yeah and, and it's very different and I, I gotta admit that's the edge of the addiction right like mm -hmm. for me that's the pain i really like like when my quads are in crucible pain mode and i'm not oh man i love that it's like it's like heroin i mean it is the same biochemical structure that hits your mm. brain right yes it is yeah and the skill of using breath to negotiate that crucible yeah and it, calm the system yeah and learn to this is this is why we see so many riders at the highest level of sport or not necessarily cyclists look at any world level athlete they blend insane effort with flow suplex yeah uh, fluidity yeah right michael jordan yeah uh any of the top fighters right muhammad ali like these aren't people who embrace the pain face who aren't struggling with the the feedback of their own nervous system they're not f having a wrestling match with their own body they're sitting in the crucible and 
they've trained themselves to be in that place yeah. of exceptional discomfort and it's the path that they've chosen, but they worked, arguably they've let the, the, the pull of their goal pull them into that place where they could. Yeah. I mean, that's the nature that of jujitsu, right? Yeah. Aikido, like yeah. that you're, that, that you're actually more powerful when yielding. Right. 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 And, and, and this is what Bruce Lee taught mm -hmm. um, my Sifu when I was younger, that it's the subtleness and the gentleness of application, not the force of application mm -hmm. that makes it more powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, simplicity. He, he would always say, uh, you know, or Bruce Lee would even say, I don't I don't fear the thousand kicks practice once. I fear the one, one kick, kick practice, practice a, thousand a thousand times. times. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, what's the, the army say, right? Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> and this is, this is important in training and in life to a certain extent when yeah. we overcomplicate ourselves yeah. and you're feeling the alarm bells, the migraine headaches, the digestive disorder, the back pain, the, mm. whatever it is, we now know like 90% of back pain is not structural. Mm. Like be aware, like take a look at yourself, look in the proverbial mirror and say, what am I doing too much of? What am I not doing? Mm. How am I living asymmetrically with what's in line for me? Mm -hmm. And how can I shift instead of shut up, shut up, shut up. I just got to get through this and do this project, or I just yep. got to get out and do this training ride, or I just have to accomplish this hill climb because it's on my app today and yeah. I need to send a coach complete done workout. Yes. And I will be a bad person if I don't get top or well, a failure as an athlete or. Right. And I'm, I'm a touchy feely guy. Half, half the reason I have a coach and I'll use the air quotes, have a coach and still work with Grant is because he's my friend and I like the communication. And so mm -hmm. the app kind of takes the fun out of it. I'd rather just go have a bike ride and talk to him about my bike ride and how I could have improved it one way or the other, mm -hmm. rather than having to, I mean, I used to be a personal trainer. I've raced. I know kinesiology and exercise. I can write my own training workout. I know right. what I'm supposed right. to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but a good coach is a mirror and a reflecting pool for the athlete to keep them in balance because we all get off track once in a while. That's exactly right. We'll tell ourselves we're on, we're doing something, and the coach can look with a fresh eye, hopefully, and say, mm, okay, I like what you're doing here. I like what you're doing there. However, what did we forget about this? Did you neglect that? And you go, oh yeah, I don't really like doing that stuff. Why? Well, probably if I'm honest, because I'm not as good at it. And most athletes gravitate towards what they're good at. First. Well, and maybe this is an edge because you're a coach. Mm. For me as an individual, I struggle with the technology in the middle. Yeah. Right. I'm not a computer guy. I'm not an app guy. Yeah. And maybe I'm old school. You are, but right. That's okay. But but I, but I like the conversation, and some of it is about that relating. And do I want the feedback? And do I want mm -hmm. the dialogue? Absolutely. And I have to admit, the apps are sometimes the limiting factor for me. They're getting better, I would argue. Uh, I have some very good relationships with my athletes through our apps, but ultimately, there's a point when you just gotta get on the phone. Well, especially for that mind body pieces, which is what yeah. we're talking about, right? Yeah. And, and so. Um, I do believe that coaching is evolving. I see more and more coaches studying sports psychology or studying, yeah. you know, conscious relating methods uh, or even studying somatics and studying, mm -hmm. studying trauma work to, because we all have trauma. Yeah. Right. And, and recognizing that 
maybe the reason that somebody's not performing well is because they just got fired from their job or they just got broke up from the relationship or whatever. And, you know, we're not counselors, mm. but having yet, and, well, right. And, <laughs> and how much do we end up in the, that emotional process with people right. and having tools or at least having a great set of resources around you to refer people to, mm. to recognize and to reflect, right? That's what we do get to do as coaches is we, we can say, look, can I offer you that maybe this is something that you could work on with a counselor or with a coach or maybe some trauma work or here's a great book or here's this great somatic worker that I know. No wind of her out. And, and, and also for that, you know, driven athlete inside them to say that we're going to see an increase in performance if you look at some of this stuff mm -hmm. instead of just ignoring it. It's the, I'm, it's the I'm a runner versus I'm Jennifer who runs. Yes, yes. Right. Yes. Uh, another lens to think about that is holistic health dominates everything without health. We have nothing. So this is the convergent divergent lines. When you have right relationship to sport, I would argue that you are most of the time, if not all of the time, especially as an amateur, the choices you make for your sport are convergent, at least parallel with the choices you would make for your holistic and general health. I a hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. At least yeah, let's say ninety-eight point five. There's probably a few choices. There's a few. Yes, of course. But but for the right. most part, yes. I I, I think we could. It, it, it's not too much of a straight stretch to say that that extrapolates entirely. Mm -hmm. Right? Is that we said this earlier? You are what you eat into the Chinese medicine paradigm. So this is the internet that you watch, and the Twitter that you read, and the books that you're looking yeah. at, and the people that you hang out with. Yes, and, and the food, and all of those things. The city you live in, the river you live in. That's exactly right. All of these things become a part of who we are and have to be properly metabolized. Mm -hmm. So there's two pieces. There's what do we expose ourselves to? Mm -hmm. What training do we do? What nutrition do we eat? What people do we train with? Whatever that is. But also how is our body as a mechanism, as the machine for metabolizing all of that experience? That's where the Chinese medicine is a beautiful mm. or Ayurveda, the holistic medicine process of what we're doing is we're not it's not anti-inflammatory. It's not analgesic. It's not stopping processes. What we're trying to do is we're trying to facilitate the body's own healing mechanical powers. I mean, that's why I call myself the mind, body, soul mechanic. I'm mm -hmm. not a healer. I don't heal people. I just tune up. I just tune the human condition mm -hmm. and the, the mm -hmm. human body is an amazing, miraculous mental, spiritual, and physical healing machine. If we give it the right environment yes. tools, cultivation this, this is a tenet of Chuck's system as well we don't actually we don't heal clients no not at all we make space to let them heal themselves and the so, same could be said for a good coach you don't actually coach someone you get out of the way and let them express their potential as an athlete of course you give them tools you give them guidance you give them you plant seeds to watch the right habits grow hopefully <laughs> right but you're not you're not doing anything and this is why when people are like oh good job coach you know your athlete won this Thank you. I'll take that compliment, but I will also humbly recognize that mm -hmm. I am at best a conductor of an entire symphony. I love that. Right? Yeah. And the athlete is the whole symphony and the auditorium and the audience watching themselves. <laughs> I'm one person who simply gave a few cues at the right moment. Start now, stop here, move this direction, move that direction. That's it. More clarinets more base. That, I love that. I love the conductor mm -hmm. model. And I, I think in light of what you were asking earlier is to be willing to acknowledge this is why in the symphony, you have a first tenor, mm 
and a fourth tenor. Because the fourth tenor is never going to solo for you. But if you let him sing in the fourth tenor spot for a while, he's eventually going to get to the point where he can. Mm -hmm. And so there's this level of maybe you are showing up to just tell athletes or coach people in a way for a while that they're just following the rules. They're just doing, they just need to be told how to do to establish a new habit, to get into Mm -hmm. the rhythm. Mm -hmm. And that that really does have the potential to then evolve them to the next stage where they're like, all right, coach, well, I'm noticing this, why why I'm where I'm doing this and why is this happening? And is there anything else? And then all of a sudden that's where, that's where the opportunity to invite them to that next level of consciousness, agreed awareness. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And so the edge there for me is that middle ground of finding the ones that are just going to stay stuck in the just fix me mode forever mm-hmm. yeah. or those that are just at the beginning of the path yeah. and you can, you know, give them those signposts along the path. Uh, we keep coming up with these martial arts statements, right? When the student is ready, the teacher Which will appear. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that that's also a, a piece of, of the coaching process, whether it's athletic coaching or personal, mm. you know, life coaching, um, is meeting people where they're at and offering them tools that get them into the habits that will then guide them to that evolution mm-hmm. when they're ready for mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And not pushing as a coach, receiving as a coach yes. as much as you're yes. getting out of the way when needed. Yeah. 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 Awesome conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a couple more minutes? Are you sure. Good? Okay. Yes. Okay. I want to just tie up maybe with one thing that I think might be a bit practical. Okay. And it's selfishly practical. Sure. Um, but maybe can be expanded. So I've noticed in my own journey, and this relates back to, to TCM to some degree, right? And I'll let you comment on that part. Mm-hmm. Uh, traditional Chinese medicine, in case people didn't catch that. So when I was younger, okay, my ancestral lineage is Northern European, like mostly UK German, right? So cold, relatively cold weather climate. When I was younger, I melted in the heat, melted the Bisbee, uh, Gila, I sucked at those races when mm, I was 19, okay. 20, yeah, 21. Sure. Get on a hot climb in the sun, and just melted, yeah. just got my ass kicked. But did a road race in Moab one year and it snowed on us and I dropped the entire Peloton except for one guy and then towed him 40 miles and then he beat me in the sprint. Good lessons on all, <laughs> kinds, of, on all <laughs> kinds of places. <laughs> so we, uh, so I was a, definitely a cold weather rider. And I wasn't, I didn't carry a lot of adipose tissue, wasn't the leanest guy on the planet either, probably pretty average, about what I am now, and uh, by athletic standards. And so, but as my career progressed, I became more and more adapted to the heat, more and more durable as an athlete, could handle wider conditions. Probably lost a little bit of my capacity to deal with cold, but still largely a cold weather rider. Uh, and there are moments in the heat where it's like, oh boy, I'm in a little bit of trouble here, I can feel the limit coming. Got fire infrared sauna right behind you in my home office here. Use that. That is a wonderful tool for me to keep me heat adapted, but I have to be very cautious about using it in the summer. So that's one sort of observation is that transition for me to become better in the heat. And I got to the point where I can ride in pretty much blisteringly hot rides, straight up sun, four mile an hour climb up Magnolia, and it can be brutal. And I just kind of keep going. No problem. Don't, I never hit that meltdown point, or at least very rarely. So that was an evolution. But the flip side of that is, and this is where I'd like you to comment, I've noticed that there's this phenomenon in cycling I've noticed that I've had where when I was younger as a junior, I hated riding with booties. Now, part of it is because this was 1989 and booties sucked back then. They were just those neoprene socks. Yeah, right. 
that ripped off half the time. Yeah. Because, yeah. 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 So, but I just didn't like the way they felt. I was being a very persnickety little junior. I was like, these are yucky. I'm going to, I'm just going to be a tough guy and deal without it. So I did three or four winters in Colorado with no booties. Oh, brutal. So now my feet get cold very quickly on cold days, even when I do wear the appropriate shoe covers and socks in business. They just go well before my hands, but I didn't ever have a problem with gloves for whatever reason. So my hands are these little furnaces. I can be out on a pretty cold day and other people will be shaking their fingers and doing the shoulder rolls and trying to get circulation back in their hands and their hands get cold in the winter. And that is not me. My hands are little, little furnaces, but the feet are gone immediately. But fortunately, it's the point where there's really no cold. They get a little bit cold and then they just, there's nothing. Probably not the best thing for my circulation in the universe. Don't have any, I'm still got all my toes and whatever. So there's that. But the other observation is that now I've had this phenomenon. So the point I'm making there is that it's like, I feel like there's a trend where when a body part gets abused too much. Oh, for sure. Then it there's an easier path for it to go for sure foul in the future. And the other one that I've noticed is with chest colds and changing seasons. So the reason I think this is timely and practical for people is because it's September 1st today. Yep. Fall's so here. fall is coming. We just saw the first hint of leaf changing. I noticed the other day on one of my rides. Yep. And so I'm now chronically carrying a vest in my pocket, even on days where it's 86 and sunny, because if I descend a Canyon, we get these bursts of really cold air in Colorado, right? You're coming down left-hander or whatever, and the cold air hovers by the creek, and you come through, and all of a sudden, you get this 15-degree temperature. Oh, I know drop. it. I live right there on the canyon. Right, right. Yep. So what I've noticed is a few times I flew through the fall, and it literally takes one ride, five minutes, cold chest, and I'll get a, a wind invasion in my wind pipe, my yep. lungs, instant chest cold. Yep. And they're usually pretty minor. But any chest cold is a bad chest cold. Right. So what Especially I'm, for an endurance athlete. Right. And so I feel like the same thing has happened to my lungs. It's happened to my feet where I've got this little bit of extra sensitivity and I have to be extra cautious about protecting my lungs when the seasons shift. And then I notice even today you've got a scarf on. So maybe you can comment on that. When the lungs do have a, some wind invasions, do you think that the body then is subject to that? Well, I, it, yes. Uh, more in the future what we would call that is is lung chi deficiency right 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 and, and absolutely i mean like you're we're basically the same age so you're i'm sure you're you know before the booties days the days of like riding yeah. with toes uh clips and straps yeah in a cold day yeah and having your toes go completely numb because not only were they exposed because you have a metal cage that's yeah. like basically chilling your feet yeah because of conductive cooling right Right. Uh, and so it's no surprise. And you're using the right terms in the Chinese medicine vernacular is that we consider the elements hot, cold, Damn, wind, dry. dry. Those yeah. are all yeah. external evils. Right. Right. And the reason I almost always wear a scarf is because the the junction between the neck and the thorax is the, the portal of entry. Mm -hmm. Right. It's a lot of times where the wind will sneak in and, you know, sometimes when you feel like you're coming, you're like, ah, my neck feels, feels kind of stiff. Mm. Right. And I've gotten to the point where I've done it for so long that now if I go outside and I don't have a scarf on and I feel a little bit of wind on the back of my neck, oh. I'm like, oh, I'm vulnerable. And all I have to do is put that little piece of cloth over the back of my neck. Uh -huh. And then all of a sudden. You're good. Right. Yeah. And, and so there's actually a classic formula for this time of year. It's called Yuping Feng San. It's the jade windscreen. Mm -hmm. 
right? And lungs and large intestine, as we know, both now west and east, are our immunity, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're outside, right? The alimentary canal, the yes. tube from the beginning to end is outside the inside, but it's, it's outside it's, the body. It's outside the body from... Yeah. As are the lungs, right? Right. So they're our metal. It's the metal element. It's our mm -hmm. shield. It's our defense. Mm -hmm. and, and so um, this formula is very simple formula. Lady Buriella, Fang Fang, um, Attractylodes, and Astragalus, mm -hmm. which are basically three tonic herbs, which boost the digestive chi, mm -hmm the lung chi and strengthen what well, they say, strengthen the skin. It strengthens the portals so that we improve our, so it's like taking your vest on that ride. Yeah. And so this time of year, and I just made up a big batch of it with some reishi and whatever, if you want to, oh, I'll, I'll give you a bag. Oh man. Um, Sounds amazing. That, um, basically that as it starts to dry, right. As the trees are, you said, changing the leaves, what they're doing is they're getting ready for the cold. They're, yeah. they're locking up, so that the cold of winter doesn't hurt them. Mm -hmm. We can do this energetically, nutritionally, herbally, yeah. that as we're approaching the cold season, yeah. that we shore up our, our chi. And certainly if like one of the traditional questions is, did you have pneumonia or a kid? Did you have asthma? Did you have chronic bronchitis? Well, these are all signs that there is already a deficiency in that uh, defensive energy. Yeah. And yeah, that person should always wear a vest. Mm. And, you know, I've done it more than one time, you know, gone to the local, you know, find the local mailer and, and steal the free newspaper and yeah. stick it in your jersey because you get up to the top of the hill and all of a sudden, uh oh, uh -oh man, yeah. the sun is down and it's getting cold and there's no way I'm making it down this hill at 30 miles or 40 miles an hour. Right. Uh, without getting a real serious chill in my chest. Right. And, you right. know, they've been doing that forever in the tour, and, yeah in the forever. tour forever so uh there is yeah. something to be said for that I, you know and, and so again this is a, a, an awareness of where am i how much sleep am i getting where's mm -hmm. my stress level how am i eating how is my immune system and and, and my overall uh resilience right now and where does that filter into how i'm riding yeah. today or how i'm training today and how do I adapt or what extra tool like the vest, the vest or the wind jacket or whatever, or some or hand, war hand warmers or yeah, yeah, the neck gaiters. Yeah. Same thing for the scarf. Like yeah. I very rarely go out without a neck gaiter with me mm -hmm. if it's not on yeah. hot days, I won't wear Just it, but sometimes, pocket. sometimes the heat exposure mm -hmm. to the back of the neck, like I've gotten a brutal sore throat and chest heat cough. Yep. Right. A wind yep. heat. Yep. Because because I was too sun exposed and was like, oh, it's too hot. I'm going to take my jersey mm -hmm. off. And sure, it feels nice because you have, but you get so heat exposed that I woke up the next day with just the brutal, mm -hmm. you know, bronchitis and, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, yellow phlegm and sore throat. And mm -hmm. now a little pitch for Chinese medicine there. If you start to feel that day and you get cupped mm -hmm. and you get a little acupuncture and you take the yin chow san or the sang jiyun, like the classic beginning of a cold formula, yep. whether it's warm cold or a cold cold you can usually knock it out within a day or two. Mm. And, and so this is that back, it's all the same theme, right? This is back to awareness is like really being clear of how you feel mm -hmm. every day and, 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 and not numbing out with substance or TV or audiobooks or music or chemicals or. It's also about connection. I would argue with seasonality. Oh, absolutely. Nature. We're in lucky form in that of, regard. 
because well, we live in nature, we live in, close to nature. We live closer to nature than some people do if you live in LA or New York or whatever, Austin, but but it's still so easy to be disconnected. I mean, we live in air conditioned boxes. Yeah. So are you aware, you know, you go outside, you look at the weather, it's 86, I don't care. I'm gonna wear shorts and a jersey and no base layer. And then, but oh, lo and behold, at 5 p.m. now or 5.30, when the sun goes down, it gets a lot chillier, a lot quicker. And you descend through that cool air or you get caught in a little squall, a little rain shower and your chest gets wet, boom. Yeah. Instant. All it takes is that little, and a few of those episodes and then it can happen more easily. What I love about this is there's sort of that folklore about Belgians and Dutchies being afraid of air conditioning. Well, there's some, Even, some truth to it. And there's some truth to it. If now, you go I don't hot know and wet into cold air, it's not right. good. And what about the eating in the middle of a croissant? That's a digestive. <laughs> they say it's too hard in your stomach, right? You can't digest it because the dough isn't cooked enough. Too much butter. I don't know, man. Butter, butter does mean good. We have wealth. There's good the, fuel. I, there, I got nothing bad to say about butter. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know that's what I like about the Chinese medicine is it's all about balance. Mm -hmm. You know we are a, a whole container, mm. right? And so if there's an excess one area, then there by nature of the fact that we are a complete, even like these exercise balls we're sitting on today, yeah. right? Like when you squish one side, the other the side sides must expand. Out. Yeah. And, and so, you know, if we have an excess of one thing, exercise, mm. eating, whatever it is, if we have an excess of sleeping. one thing, sleeping, then it's going to create a deficiency of something else. Yeah. It's just the nature of, of the whole package. It's the nature of the universe. It seeks balance ultimately through entropy, right. but it's also the nature of the human organism. Yeah, the homeostasis. Body, homeostasis. Yeah. And, and as Hans Selye proved years ago, and the Nor Norman Cousins turned it around, right? Mm -hmm. Stress is a general adaptive response. When we put a stressor to the body, whether it's a positive stressor or a negative stressor, right, right, the body is going to react. Uh, well, when and you so argue the positive or negative stressors are just our own artificial labels. Well, right, and I'm body, not. I'm not saying stress. positive as in good and bad. Okay. Right. But we were talking about exercise that's depletive uh, versus yes. constructive. Right? I understand. Yes. And so we know that if you want to build big muscles, you have to tear down muscles to build muscles. Right. right. So I would argue that that's a negative stress. Right. For a positive gain. Yes. Whereas Tai Chi is a very positive stress. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a very gentle, easy movement mm -hmm. that reduces the, the sympathetic tone that has a almost negative. Mm -hmm diminishing effect on the body to bring it back into a beautiful level of homeostasis, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. My teacher would always say stillness of the mind through gentle movement of the body. Yes. Whereas so much of our culture is, you know, mind, 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 go, 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 go in stagnant positions in the car, at the desk, standing at the desk. Yeah. You know, I don't think standing desks are necessarily the solution for a lot of folks because if you've ever walked through one of these tech companies, they're not standing with great posture for eight <laughs> hours a day. Why? Yeah. Right. And so, anything for eight hours a day. Well, right. Whether it's bike riding, other than sleep, which should be eight hours at night at least, <laughs> like anything that's repetitive, and even if it's movement oriented, riding a bike, standing or sitting, you could argue is not. We need, we need change, we need Delta. Well, that's the only thing that's really consistent. Yes. Right, is back to that metaphor of the river. It's always changing. Moving. We are always moving and always changing. And so there's that beautiful space of being aware, being present that allows mm. us to 
acknowledge and recognize or feel using your words, feel the movements yeah, and then make a chosen reflected choice, mm-hmm. not just react. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Good talk, my man. Yeah. Great talk. Thank you. Yeah. I'm honored, man. Thanks so much for having me. I'm honored as well. Thanks for making time. Yeah. That's good. Sure. Okay. All right. Uh, before we cl- sign out, tell everyone where they can find you. Uh, so wonderful. I'm the only Todd Plymel Mallory in the world. So my, my website is just my name. Todd so it's Plymel. Todd Plymel Mallory, P-L-Y-M-A-L-E, no hyphen M-A-L-L-O-R-Y.com. Okay. Um, and you can also go to mbsmedicinals.com to check out the CBD and herbal products. That's M as in Mary, B as in Maloney. mind, body, soul, S medicinals. As in Sam. Yeah. Mind, body, soul, medicinals. Okay. Yeah, come on down to Boulder and check us out. We'd love to have you in the center. And cool, we yeah. got to get you in for a treatment. I would love to. Sounds and, great. And get you some jade windscreen. All right, uh, that also sounds shore great. up that lung chief for the yes, fall. Yes, let's do it. All right, yeah. yeah. All right, thanks, thanks Colby. Okay. Appreciate you. All right, take care. Yeah. Epilogue. I want to share a few brief thoughts about the inception of cycling and alignment. The purpose of this podcast is for me to get three and a half decades of hard-fought lessons out of my skull. Some of them through my own research and reading. Some of them I've been taught through mentors and colleagues, other riders, other racers. A lot of it, a massive amount of it was simply trial and error through my own stubborn methods. And that has amassed a certain amount of experience and knowledge, understanding. And while I think I'm reasonably smart and I know quite a bit of stuff, I want to make it clear that the opinions that I share on this podcast are belief systems built on what I've experienced to this point. And that some of those opinions are pretty strong, but they are also loosely held. That is to say that if I learn more about a topic and have a greater level of clarity or understanding, then my old belief systems will be abandoned and I will now operate under that newfound knowledge. So I'm not here to tell people all the things that I know. I'm here to explain what I've learned to this point. And there's a big difference. Also, that is the intent when I discuss things on the pod with guests is to learn from them and have a discourse because if we can't have a discourse as adults then we've lost one of the basic tenets of modern society even if we disagree we ought to be able to in most cases shake hands and walk away because after all this is sport we're talking about and while sport is training for life It's nothing to get too upset over. The purpose of the podcast is to help me help other people and specifically to help them actualize their highest potential by illuminating a path that enables alignment with their truth, their intent, and their coherence. That's really the end goal. So I'm grateful for your listening. My intent is also not to be clear, to gain an audience or become popular or gain social status in any way. I don't care about that stuff. 
That said, if you feel an episode that you have heard will help someone you know, please share it with them. That helps us reach the end goal, which is to help more people. Thank you for listening. I'm grateful for your time and attention. Blessings.